The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash earnings. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, folks. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Coming up, we've got Congressman Brendan Boyle, Democrat from Pennsylvania. You don't want to miss our exclusive conversation with him. But first, we begin tonight with the big story. And that, of course, is former President Donald Trump's attorney speaking, making their case to the Senate, the upper chamber, as they defend themselves against the impeachment allegations. I've got sound on this from Trump's attorney, Bruce Castor, who uh, spoke and laid out his defense before the U.S. Senate in his second impeachment trial. And uh, Bruce Castor and David Schoen accused Democrats of a double standard as they showed videos of Democrats using the words fight and calls for uprising in campaign speeches and press conferences. In Castor's opening arguments today, he said that Democrats have not only intentionally excluded Mr. Trump's repeated calls for peace during his time in office, but they also omitted portions of his speech on January 6th when Mr. Trump told the thousands to protest peacefully. I've got sound on the defense. Take a listen. Violent criminals were assembling at the Capitol over a mile away almost an hour before the president <clears throat> uttered a single word on the ellipse. You did not hear that fact during the hours and hours of the House manager's presentation, did you? And David Schoen, he's saying, made the case in the Senate that he's alleging that the videos that the Democrats showed were manipulated. I've got sound on that. Take a listen. We have reason to believe the House managers manipulated evidence and selectively edited footage. If they did, and this were a court of law, they would face sanctions from the judge. I want to welcome into the conversation our Bloomberg political contributor team, Rick Davis, as well as Jeannie Sean Zeno. And Jeannie, let me begin with you. Um, you know, I mean, you hear the defense. It's not going to change any any dynamics, um, most likely. Uh, but but did it do anything but solidify that we already know the outcome? It, it did solidify we know the outcome. I think, you know, what, what I can hear is that we may see a few more Republicans because of the strength of the prosecution vote to convict, but it's not going to be nearly, as you mentioned, the 17 they would need. I think at the most you were looking at like eight to 10. I think in my mind, one big question, although I don't, don't believe it will happen, is where does Mitch McConnell go? Um, mm. Again, I don't believe he will vote to convict. I think he will likely vote to acquit and then issue some kind of strong statement about the president's actions. But that's a big question in my mind. Other than that, I do think the defense was strong today from the perspective of some of the Republicans who may have been moved by the prosecution enough that we heard Lisa Murkowski 
saying that they had presented a strong case in his defense. So I do think it may have given some more Republicans a way to move to acquittal if they weren't in that area already. Well, and folks, I'm just going to jump in here and defend the panel already. If you don't like what the panel says in terms of how what their reporting and analysis is, doesn't really matter. What Jeannie is saying is not taking an opinion on one way or the other. What she's saying is that the defense uh, was strong in the sense that it has not changed the presumed outcome, which is that uh, former President Trump will be convicted in the Senate. And there's a key difference, and that's very important nuance that I got to jump out and say. President Trump did not know that the former vice president now, Mike Pence, was in danger from the mob at the Capitol when he sent a disparaging tweet saying that the vice president didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution by refusing to certify Joe Biden as the presidential election winner, his lawyer said in response to a question. At no point was the president informed that the vice president was in danger, Michael Vanderveen said. The answer is no. That is a key moment from today's testimony, is it not, Rick Davis? Yeah, I think it is, because uh, we can tell from uh, as this uh, impeachment goes into the next phase, which is the Q&A phase, senators have four hours of time to ask the, uh, the prosecutors and the defense uh, questions. We already know that uh, Republicans like uh, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins have questions about this timetable. You know, what did... When did Donald Trump learn of the attack and what did he do in the suing times and how does that correspond with what we know to be the danger that um, that Vice President Mike Pence was in and the flooding of the chamber by protesters? So uh, some of that is going to play out again still. But uh, but yeah, that was a critical moment in today's hearing. Well, they dodged. I mean, here's the uh, the moment, to your point, when Republican Senators Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who are undecided, mind you folks, uh, on, on how they're going to vote on this, they asked uh, Trump's lawyers, when did Trump learn of the breach of the Capitol? What specific actions did he take? Did he bring the rioting to an end? And when did he take them? And please be as detailed as possible. Vanderveen dodged and and Vanderveen said that the quote when he was asked about this he said quote the house managers did zero investigation and the American people deserve better than hearsay on top of hearsay I've got sound on this from Trump attorney Michael Vanderveen take a listen the article of impeachment now before the Senate is an unjust and blatantly unconstitutional act of political vengeance This appalling abuse of the Constitution only further divides our nation when we should be trying to come together around shared priorities. Rick Davis, just given your your experience in the in the GOP, I mean, you hear that answer. You hear the dodgeball questions from from Trump's attorneys. If you're Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and even Mitt Romney, I mean, are you does this impact your your decision, the dodge? Yeah, I think that uh, Republicans have been on the record, at least in the original opening case that the Trump attorneys made, that they were very unimpressed with the case that the Trump attorneys were presenting. And and there was a lot of pressure over the last three days to see how they would finish. And they even got schooled by certain senators, uh, people like Ted uh, Ted Cruz and, and, and Lindsey Graham, uh, last night saying, you better be prepared. Everyone expects something better from you. And when Republicans are looking for uh, a performance that could sort of get them off the hot spot, 
uh, on a vote against Donald Trump. They didn't get it today. Uh, if, if they were asking for specifics, they got a complete dodge. Jeannie, come in here. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, where the Trump's team is going to face some real challenges is, you know, number one, with the disingenuous uh, presentation of the montage of Democrats who they are trying to equate using terms like fight with what Donald Trump is accused to have done. Those kinds of things I think are very, very difficult for any objective person, if anybody in that jury was, to swallow. But certainly since this is a play for public opinion, to me, that is very, very difficult for them to overcome. And then I think as as we look from sort of a 30,000 foot level, as some, you know, so many of us are watching this, you know, nonstop, but a lot of Americans are going about their day. I think the bottom line is, How do you allow a president without any punishment to do what the prosecutors showed, you know, in really grave detail over the last two days that President Trump did? And I think bottom line, historically, if not in the moment, that is where Republicans who vote to acquit. And again, I think many of them will maybe except eight or so. How do you answer that? Because that, to me, is what many Americans, even those who may have voted for Donald Trump or be Republicans, are walking away with. Well, but also to your point, Jeannie, and I'll follow up with you here. I think you raised a really a good point about most Americans are not tuning into this uh, like the political junkies that we are. Uh, and and so as a result of that, they also are disgusted with Washington as a whole. So I think do you think part of the, the former president's strategy is to lump Washington as a whole and say, look, you might think Republicans are dirty, independent swing voters, but Republic, but Democrats are just as dirty. I'm not saying that's right or wrong or weighing in on the merits of the argument, but is that the strategy? That's exactly the strategy, and that's the strategy he's always taken. I was reminded today in the debates mm-hmm. with Hillary Clinton when he was accused of, you know, it being, um, you know, sexist and not treating women well. What did he do? He paraded in people that her husband was accused of not treating well, right? So it's always, you're going to accuse me of this. Well, I will show you that you are no better, and in fact, you may be worse. That's been his strategy all along. I think people grow tired of that strategy, but he is somebody who has used that. And I think today we saw, I felt we saw his lawyers really channeling, uh, you know, former President Trump in there. They really took on his persona and they were aggressive and they were making the same arguments I could imagine he would make on Twitter if he was allowed. Well, here's here's a little behind the scenes uh, St. Louis story back from 2016. I was at the St. Louis debate. And I I got bumped out of the press pool, so to speak. There's like seven traveling press pool reporters at the the venue for the St. Louis debate. And I I must I don't know what I was thinking. I looked away and next thing I know, the Secret Service had blocked off a room and I'm standing behind stage. Suddenly, I'm in the wrong room at the wrong time, minutes before the debate with all of those uh, uh, accusers of of former President Bill Clinton, and I couldn't get out. I was in a security hold, and I'm thinking to myself, (laughs) what what have I gotten myself into now, Kev? And so... Needless to say, a front row seat to history. For yeah, and, and how surreal. And actually yeah. the same thing that he life, does. 
<laughs> the surreal surreally chronicle. I love it. Oh, well, listen, great. coming up next, we're going to check in with Anna Palmer. She's founder and CEO of Punchbowl News. Anna had an exclusive interview with Kevin McCarthy earlier this week about why he went to Mar-a-Lago to meet with President Trump. And I think it's a good catapult uh, into the future of the dynamics of the Republican Party. So Rick and Jeannie are going to stay with me. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. Tom Keene, the surreal surreally. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. Flashback Friday. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Make sure to send your mom flowers. It's Valentine's Day this weekend. I, I want to make sure I say that. Yeah, on Sunday, had to pull up the quick calendar on the computer. Didn't want to give anyone some false news reporting. Valentine's Day is Sunday. Make sure you get the gifts. I'm joined by the Bloomberg politics contributors team gifts to me rick davis and Jeannie shanzano uh and i, I want to continue our conversation about the future of the republican party how impeachment is going to play into all of this and we, we're going to do so with my former colleague over at politico uh and now she is the ceo and reporter i want to make sure i get the title right for punch bowl news which i've been reading ever since they launched and uh they've been doing an incredible job Anna Palmer, founder and CEO of Punchbowl News. And Anna had uh, this great interview. Her and her team over there had this great interview with Kevin McCarthy. And you asked him about that Mar-a-Lago picture, which I, that was the only thing anybody wanted to know, Anna. I got to be honest. And what did, what did you find out? Yeah, I mean, listen, we were the, were the news outlet that actually broke the story that Kevin McCarthy, the leader for House Republicans, going down to Florida and ended up meeting with him and then taking that infamous photo that kind of cut both ways. Some people really loved that he did it. Some people in his conference did not. He's not apologizing for it. He told us that he he would meet with anybody and that he hadn't heard from President Joe Biden. So kind of putting it on the president and the fact that saying, hey, I'm the leader of House Republicans. I'm going to go where meetings are and with people who are relevant to the conversation. So do you think that this town understands that, Anna, in the sense that you go outside of Washington and there are parts of the country that really, if Republicans want to win back control of the House of Representatives in 2022, which they're bullish on, that they're going to need that Trump voter? I think that House Republicans certainly are. I often get asked, particularly, I'm sure you do too, you're on the East Coast and the West Coast, there's a lot of people who say, how can, when are these Republicans going to give up on Donald Trump? 
It's so important to remember that for a vast majority of the country, Donald Trump's popularity is at, still at a record high, the high 80s, low 90s. And so I think what Kevin McCarthy is channeling, to your point, is he wants to be Speaker of the House. He almost tasted it once before, didn't make it. And he sees this next two years as the drumbeat to how he can get the majority. And he needs, from his perspective anyway, Donald Trump on board for that. Anna, it's Jeannie Zeno. So good to talk to you. And congratulations on Punch Bowl. Um, it's wonderful. So what is your sense in terms of Kevin McCarthy? Would he just want, does he just want this acquittal to come as quickly as possible and move on? And um, how is he, you know, approaching this in terms of people like Liz Cheney, for instance? Yeah, I mean, thank you so much. We're <laughs> Super excited about Punchbowl News, and I'm going to put my plug in now. You can subscribe at punchbowl.news. We have a free morning product and a paid afternoon product. As far as Kevin McCarthy goes, and I think, frankly, most, even Democrats and Republicans, I think most people are ready for this to be done with. There's clearly an exhaustion period around Republicans and having to deal with it, particularly in the Senate. Uh, There's been a lot of eye-rolling and kind of fatigue about how long this trial has gone, even though it's been fairly short in, in, you know, layman's terms for a jury. I think that for Kevin McCarthy, he really wants to focus in on protecting his members, keeping his right flank, the Jim Jordan, the Republican of Ohio, on his team. Liz Cheney, for better or for worse, represents a really small sliver of the House Republican Conference. She and Adam Kingsinger, Kingsinger, the Illinois Republican who's kind of going up against Trump, it's a much smaller portion of the House Republican conference and, and does not represent the majority. I think Liz Cheney was able to, in a secret ballot, keep her leadership slot. She's, she's not close to becoming the next speaker, though. I, I think the real question is, what does Liz Cheney want? What is her future in the Republican Party? Because she is not a Trump Republican, and that's been made clear. Well, meanwhile, back at the White House, I've got sound on this from White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. She's saying that President Biden, for his part, has not been making calls trying to influence Republican senators or Democrats, who are, of course, Democrats are all expected to vote to convict. Take a listen to the sound on that from Jen Psaki. He also conveyed during the conversation this morning that he is not uh, making any calls or asking anyone to vote a certain way. I mean, Rick Davis, you hear it right there, and, and Anna Palmer's reporting, as, as well as our conversations that we've been having, uh, all seem to indicate that there's just a, a sense they want to move on from this and get back to stimulus talks. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think this thing has moved, actually, at a pretty good clip, and uh, and yet you know, today was a big day for the House on the stimulus bill, and nobody's talking about it. I'm kind of curious, because, Anna, you've got such a, a pulse on what's going up on the Hill. I mean... Earlier this week, Tim Kaine, a senator from uh, Virginia, was talking about, well, when this is done, we're going to go after Donald Trump on the 14th Amendment. We're going to censure him. We're going to ban him from politics. Is there going to be any appetite for that once they're done with this? I think it's tough for me to see that the Democrats are going to want to spend a lot of time on this. Clearly, the president doesn't, as you just acknowledged, I mean, as you played that sound and talked about, they are so focused on COVID relief, and they have a very tight deadline for that to come to come to fruition, right? They've given themselves the middle of March, which was when unemployment uh, insurance benefits expire. And so you have the House racing to try to get it done as fast as possible. The Senate, we reported this morning, broke the news that they likely are not even going to even bring it to committees. They're going to bring it straight to the floor with a 
you know, amendment by Chuck Schumer. And so I have a hard time thinking that they're going to actually make any serious effort, effort beyond this impeachment trial to, to kind of continue to focus on Donald Trump. All right. Great reporting. That's Anna Palmer. She is the founder and CEO of Punchbowl News. Again, you can check them out and all of their uh, morning newsletter and for, for the features of their reporting. Anna Palmer, founder and CEO of Punchbowl News. Coming up, Congressman Brendan Boyle. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio, accompanied by none other than Rick Davis, partner at Stonecourt Capital, Bloomberg Politics contributor, and uh, former uh, campaign manager for John McCain's 08 presidential campaign, as well as Jeannie Sean Zeno, a professor at Iona College and a Bloomberg Politics contributor. Uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't say this, and I can. I, I'm, I'm, Rick's not with me right now, but I can hear him every time I say that. I can sense the nerves through the sound waves of sound on as I say. Maybe I really shouldn't say this on the air, but sometimes I can't help myself. And it's that we reporters sometimes forget that the people that we interview actually have jobs. So yesterday I get a message from Congressman Brendan Boyle, my next guest, and he goes, Kev, I can't come on your show tonight. I'm in a markup. I'm actually doing the markup for the stimulus bill, the $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. But I come on on Friday. I say, Congressman, look, I don't want to get in the way of the, the law. You know, I'm just trying to do my job. Got to get a guest. So Congressman Boyle, I appreciate you coming on the show and making the time for me. What's going on with that markup? Yeah, well, we were uh, 18 hours later and about 50 18 different votes. 18 hours? <laughs> yeah, so um, we broke it up. So we went uh, nine straight hours on Wednesday and nine straight hours on Thursday. But there were constantly rolling votes. We had about 50 or 60 different votes on various amendments. Uh, but the bottom line is, and I serve in the House Ways and Means Committee, so we have by far the biggest uh, piece of this $1.9 trillion bill. But we passed it. Um, so now it's uh, it's moving right along, and, and hopefully we'll be all primed up for uh, floor action in the House of Representatives, not next week, but the week after. Well, and then we just heard from Anna Palmer, and this matches Bloomberg's reporting, by the way, that it's it's not going to likely go through the committee process in the Senate because, uh, for whatever reason, um, but President Biden was actually asked about uh, the stimulus earlier today when he met with a bipartisan group of governors and mayors to talk about the what they're calling the American Rescue Plan. I've got the sound on this. It's the top of the sot list. The sound on this from President Biden. Let's take a listen. These are the folks that are on the ground dealing with it every single solitary day. And they see the pain and they see the successes when they occur. And what I really want to know about is what should that the recovery plan should we have more or less of anything in it? What do they think they need most? How to proceed? When will Americans get their check? That's a good question. I, you know, last time, it's funny because we've now had two different rounds of stimulus payments. If you remember, one in the spring with the CARES Act, and then the other uh, right around New Year's with, um, with the, the additional $600 that ended up as a result of a compromise. Um, if you recall the second time, the IRS got the checks out much more quickly because they already had collected the information the first time for folks who they, they didn't have, you know, routing numbers and account numbers uh, for, et cetera. So I would expect then if we have House passage, say, uh, within two weeks, then it goes over to the Senate, 
if all of this is wrapped up, say, that first week of March, then per what happened last time, I would think IRS would be able to get those checks out literally within a week. You know, within, uh, a, week, co- within a week of, of passage, you know, that first week of March. Which, by congressional standards, uh, would be really fast. fast. (laughs) Lightning fast. This is Rick Davis. It's great to have you on the uh, show, Congressman. And I want to ask you, uh, the $1,400 check wasn't the only thing that got done in that 18-hour marathon votorama. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the other things that uh, that you address in that package. I mean, you've increased tax credits you've uh, for, for children, unemployment benefits went up. I mean, what are some of the highlights that really uh, people, in addition to the $1,400 check, might see happening for them in the short run? Yeah, I, I'm glad you raised this, Rick, because it's such a comprehensive bill, $1.9 trillion, that everyone focuses understandably on the direct stimulus payments, that we lose sight of all of the other important aspects. And you just named two of them. Uh, let me add a, a few others, one especially, and I'll admit my bias here as the parent, as the father of a first grader who, <laughs> has, been, uh, who has been learning first grade from our kitchen table for the last couple months, uh, and, the, and the husband of an elementary school teacher, getting school safely reopened is of special concern. <laughs> In, uh, in the Boyle household and so many around the country. So we have um, uh, over $100 billion in there to do what it takes in order to get these schools reopened safely. You probably saw the CDC guidance that was just released as well. And I can tell you, I mean, I represent about half of the city of Philadelphia. We have so many buildings, uh, school buildings that are more than 100 years old. So, um, you know, there's a building in my district that just got a ventilation score of literally zero. Um, That's the kind of building that now would have resources through this bill in order to be uh, revamped. Um, The other part that you mentioned I want to highlight, the child tax credit. You know, there really seems to be an opportunity here to get um, some buy-in on the Republican side. Senator Mitt Romney has a very exciting proposal, which is similar to something I've long favored on the child tax credit. It seems as if we have a real coming together to address child poverty. By some estimates, increasing the child tax credit, which is in this bill, would eliminate child poverty by 40%. Um, So it just shows you, I mean, this would be an incredibly important bill, the second largest in American history. Uh, Representative Boyle, it's Jeannie Zeno. It's so good to talk to you. And I just wanted to ask you, and with your young kids and your wife who is involved in education, what do you make of the guidelines that were released on the opening? And do you think that it's safe for teachers to be back in the classroom? Do you agree with the recommendations that have been put out there in the last 24 hours? Granted, I know Kevin said you've been working, and we all know that, so I don't know if you've had a chance to look at them even. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've been stuck voting uh, on, uh, on these various amendments. Um, what I can say, though, pretty comfortably is on the is it safe question. It literally depends on where you are. It depends on the state that you're living in. And even then, it depends uh, upon your county. So, for example, the guidance here in Philadelphia has been a little bit different than in other parts of, of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I will feel much more comfortable once we get the resources to places to reopen safely. I mean, I know that as badly as I want the schools to reopen, uh, sending my wife to go teach in a building with an HVAC score or ventilation score of literally zero, that would not be safe for teachers or for the kids. So 
Um, let's, we're all eager to get back, but let's make sure we can do it the right way. I am pretty confident, though, that, that we'll be able to get there soon. All right, coming up next, we're going to continue this conversation with Congressman Brendan Boyle along with the panel. We're going to pivot back to impeachment and uh, other geopolitical issues. What's he have to say about the uh, Irish immigration to the United States? Uh, I've got a, He gave an interview to the Irish Central. That's coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. My name is Kevin Cirilli, and I am the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You know, the other week I was uh, at the Irish Ambassador's residence, Daniel Mulhall. He is the Ambassador of Ireland to the United States of America. Daniel Mulhall. He's been on the show. Um, and I was talking to him about trade between the, the two countries, and he actually brought up this issue of immigration into uh, of Ireland and Irish immigrants are actually choosing Australia and Canada over the United States. My guest here accompanying me with the Bloomberg political contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano is Congressman Brendan Boyle. He is a Democrat from Philly and I believe the only uh, member of Congress who has a parent from Ireland. Did I get that right? I don't want to mess that up, Congressman. Yeah, no, that that's right. My father was was born and raised in Ireland, and came here as an immigrant when he was nineteen. Wow, and and you, I, I, you've been really outspoken on on issues pertaining to the U.S. and and Ireland relation relations. Uh, why do you think it is that that so many immigrants are are choosing other countries, in this case Ireland, rather than coming to the United States? Oh, it, it, there's a very simple reason. It, it is almost impossible now to legally. Um, immigrate to the United States from Ireland. Ever since the Immigration Act of 1965, and I'm, I'm going to attempt to give the very simple version because I, I don't want to completely bore and, and turn off uh, your listeners, but a long story short is an unintended consequence of the Immigration Act of 1965 is that it has made it extremely difficult for folks from Ireland as well as other Western European countries to come here legally. So a lot, uh, now Ireland's economy is so much better Obviously, immigration from there is, is a lot lower today than what it was hundreds of years ago. But that said, for those who do want to emigrate, 
they basically choose Canada, Australia, or New Zealand. Very few come here unless they tend to be in a um, very technical um, or high skill profession. Congressman, let's bring it back to your district. Who should the Eagles choose for their QB? I was waiting for the Carson Wentz question to come yeah. up. I can't well, believe here it is. It's Friday, and a three. I've got a three-day weekend. You've got an impeachment vote, but or no, you don't. You're in the. You're, you're not in the Senate yet. But I, I, you know, go ahead. I don't want to be too chatty. If you can get, if you can get a first rounder from the Bears or the Colts, and if they can throw in a conditional pick like a fourth, based on what benchmarks Wentz hits, I think that's probably the smartest move now. You guys sent a letter, the Philly, the Philly delegation, as Rick Davis told me, sent a letter uh, to the CDC about the in- inequities on uh, the vaccination front. Why, why, are, why are the vaccines, why is there so much inequality with vaccine distribution? Yeah, so this, it's interesting. this is an issue that uh, affects Philadelphia, but also basically every big city. So in most big cities, the daytime population is bigger than the actual residential population. I mean, easy to, to figure out. People come into the city to work and then are going home to the suburbs. Well, it turns out the CDC formula is based on your official population. A lot of the vaccines that are being distributed in cities are being distributed to folks who may work here but not actually live here. By one estimate, about half of the vaccines that have been distributed in Philadelphia are going to people who don't actually live in Philadelphia. That also ends up skewing the sort of diversity pool of those who are getting the vaccine. So what we've asked the CDC is, look, come up with a more accurate formula so that way, you know, those of us in Philadelphia but also other big cities aren't getting shortchanged. Congressman, this is Rick again. Uh, thank you for that note, because I think a lot of people are wondering as they sit around today thinking, yeah, what is the policy on vaccine distribution? And, and am I being left out or is there some other uh, yeah. reason why we can't seem to get it done? Obviously, this has been a big week on the announcements of uh, additional vaccine that the White House has purchased. So uh, hopefully that uh, everybody can catch up to that. I want to return back to the stimulus plan, if I can, a little bit, because I'm kind of curious what you think about the politics of it. Uh, We've seen uh, your bill pass on a straight line party vote. I'm kind of curious if you thought there was a chance to get Republicans uh, on this bill. But also some of the Democrats are starting to peel off of the notion of a $15 minimum wage in the Senate. Do you think that can make its way through and be done uh, on, on, on a minimum wage increase? Yeah, so on, on the first question, um, look, I, I, and I raised this in, in the 18-hour markup that we were talking about, look at the polling of where the American people are, including a majority of Republicans. This bill has such high approval rate. I don't think I've ever seen such high approval ratings for a piece of legislation. Over 80% of the American people support it, including a majority of Republicans. So it is a bipartisan bill. I hope that you will have Republican members of Congress who put partisanship aside and go with where their own voters are. Now, to the second question on minimum wage, I, I think it's pretty clear based on what the CBO determined this week that there is a budgetary impact, and therefore you can use reconciliation. I think the challenge is you now have two Democratic senators who have said that they oppose either a $15 minimum wage or oppose attaching it to, to the overall COVID relief bill. I mean, the way I count it, then, that's at most 48. So if you can't get to 50, then then what's the point? I hope we could get there, uh, but perhaps this is an issue that will have to be then addressed in subsequent legislation. 
And Representative Boyle, it's Jeannie Zeno again, and I love you talking about the Immigration Act of 1965 because it's one of the fascinating historical acts with these unintended consequences. But sticking with the, the stimulus package, how do you respond to criticism or concern, I should say, from people who say if the bill passes close to $2 trillion, that we will run the danger of inflation? How do you respond to that criticism? Um, I'm 44 years old, and there are two things I've heard about in my lifetime that I've never seen. One is the Loch Ness Monster, and the other is inflation. So I know the threat is, is out there. <laughs> Another Irish but, illusion. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> I feel like I need a leprechaun to jump out or something. Go ahead. It's Valentine's Day, not St. Patrick's Day. I, Go ahead. I, I don't want to piss off my Scottish constituents. Loch Ness is actually in Scotland. Um, no, so look, I mean, is there the threat of inflation? Yes, but it's so hypothetical as opposed to the threat that is actually right here, right now. You know, I would refer also people to what Chair Powell has said. Chair Powell, not, Chair Powell is not Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. He has made clear, as have a large number of economists, both in the centrist camp as well as in the progressive camp, that this is the time to go big if we're going to err on one side. It needs to be going big and going bold. But, Congressman, I mean, when you hear from people like former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, for example, I mean, they've all raised concerns. He's, for example, has raised concerns about potentially spending too much money. And, and you know, some of your uh, more moderate Republicans have also raised some of these concerns. I, then they're talking about infrastructure. So at what point does yeah. deficit become a, a concern? Look, I, first, I'll take Janet Yellen and Jay Powell uh, over Larry Summers with all due respect. I'd also point out even Trump's economist, Kevin Hassett, has come out in favor of uh, what we're doing here on, on COVID relief and going big. In terms of infra- infrastructure, um, look, this is about as good a time to borrow and make investments as there's ever been. I mean, we literally have you know, negative interest rates effectively. Uh, when factored in the the real return. So, uh, again, I I come down decidedly on the side of going big and going bold. I know at some point we will have to turn to being concerned about the deficit and the debt. I just think we are far from that point. Right now we're still in the middle of this crisis, and there is a greater threat of a double-dip recession than there is of inflation. So when you when we hear about infrastructure, though, I mean, is that is that a realistic goal before the midterm elections? Yeah, I absolutely believe it. I, I still think that that was the great missed opportunity of Donald Trump. If he had led off with an infrastructure bill, which I and a number of my Democratic colleagues were willing to vote for, he would always talk about it. But the problem was he had a number of folks on the Republican side who weren't with him on that issue. Um, he would have been able to get some Republican votes, but he, when you looked at his White House, it was really populated by people who had more doctrinaire conservative views on, on this. Now, fast forward four years, um, we were already able to pass a big infrastructure bill out of the House last summer, got almost no attention. But um, be that as it may, clearly we have the votes to pass it out of the House. I think in the Senate, you will have Republican buy-in. You do have um, some kind of Chamber of Commerce or Main Street type Republicans who are uh, who are have bought into it. Um, so I, I'm pretty confident that we will be able to get it done. And again, I, I think that if there's any issue that offers the hope of bipartisanship, it is infrastructure. 
All right, we're going to have to leave it there. That is, of course, Congressman Brendan Boyle. He is a Democrat from uh, Philadelphia, from Pennsylvania. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Congressman, truly, for, for making the time for me on a Friday. And uh, enjoy your weekend. And I know you'll be continuing to give us updates on that economic stimulus. All right, uh, February is Black History Month. And every day, Bloomberg is uh, going into the history of Black History Month. And here's what today's installment is Renita Young. On this day in black history in 1909, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People was founded. Riots in Springfield, Illinois, were the final tipping point that led to the creation of the NAACP. The group aimed to secure for all people rights guaranteed in the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the United States Constitution. Today, the NAACP is the nation's largest and widely recognized civil rights organization with more than half a million members and supporters globally. Its mission continues to be ensuring the political, educational, social, and economic equality of minority group citizens of the United States and to eliminate racial prejudice. That's Today in Black History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. All right, my thanks to our guest, Anna Palmer of Punchbowl News, as well as to Congressman Brendan Boyle and the Bloomberg Politics team, Rick Davis and Jeannie Sean Zeno. And uh, coming up next week, we've got Mick Mulvaney. He's going to be on the program. He's got a lot to talk about, the former chief of staff to former President Donald Trump. Thanks to our team behind the scenes as well. Have a great weekend. This is Bloomberg. The Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit returns to London on April 25th for a solution-driven look at the sustainable business and finance landscape, looking at the latest trends in ESG regulations, supply chain innovation, and transition finance. Speakers include leaders from CDP, Emirates Environment Group, TNFD, Ctrace, COA, and more. Summit advisors include City and Schneider Electric. Visit BloombergLive.com slash SBS 2024 to learn more.